Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Passing Judgment, a podcast about politics and the law and a lot of things in between. I'm your host, Loyal Law School professor Jessica Levinson, and today I am so excited because we are joined by Amanda Seitz. Amanda is a reporter and fact checker for the Associated Press. Amanda, thank you for passing judgment with us and welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So very first question, what is a fact checker and how is that different from being a reporter? Why does your title say reporter and fact checker? (laughs) Well, it's funny that you asked that because it's really not all that different from any other reporter. But when I first started this job, people were like kind of had this old school mentality of fact checking in their heads. And so they would say like, oh, you're not going to publish what I tell you, right? You're like just calling to check the facts before the big story goes out. Um, but that's not that's not what I do. <laughs> I actually call you and I will put you on the record when I call. <laughs> um, so really, basically, what I do is I look for false claims that are or misleading claims that maybe politicians um, said for obviously President Trump or Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden. Um, we're fact checking claims that are and ads that are running um, in the big U.S. Senate races. And then the other big part of my job is just fact checking claims that are circulating online. So it might be a video that makes a false statement or a Facebook status or memes um, that contain false information. We've even done fact checks of videos on TikTok. Um, So it could be like fake quotes that are uh, wrongly attributed to like Joe Biden, um, an image that's been manipulated. Most recently, we had a big one um, a few months ago that went very viral of the White House, for example, where it looked like all the lights had been turned off. um, And it was Mm. during protests that were going on and people thought Trump was like hiding in the bunker and the lights were turned off, but it had actually been darkened to make it to make it look that way. And it was was an edited image. So that's kind of it runs the gamut, really. Is this a relatively new field? You talked about this old school mentality, and I'd never actually heard it described quite that way. But I don't remember that we used to have reporters who were almost just dedicated fact checkers. Is this a relatively new area for journalists? Um, well, it's funny that you say that. My boss always likes to talk about how the AP has actually been uh, fact checking for decades. And in fact, um, you know, our, our lead fact checker in DC, um, he fact checked Obama more than any other previous president. So it's not entirely, I would say, new. Um, but I think there's been a lot of renewed attention on this effort. Um, and it's become a bigger effort fact checking in general, um, especially after, you know, the 2016 campaign, when we found out that there was all this misinformation circulating online about the race. Um, So we've seen the social media platforms themselves um, really make a bigger effort to actually hire fact checkers and put fact checks on online. And so it's, it's gotten a lot of attention. Um, And I think in general, it's, you know, we we are seeing more um, efforts from like even lo- I've seen local uh, TV and newspapers fact checking kind of their local races as well. So I wouldn't call it entirely new, but I think there's definitely a, a big focus on it over the last couple of years. Yeah. You just said something. I hope you can disentangle this for me because I feel like I incorrectly use these words interchangeably. You said misinformation. And sometimes I also hear disinformation. Are they actually different or are they fungible terms? 
Yes, they are different, but unless you're really working in the field, it's, it's like you said, very difficult to understand what the difference is or even know. Um, so pe people really outside of the field don't understand the difference at all, which is totally understandable. But um, as far, so to start with misinformation, I think kind of an example, if I could illustrate it that way, misinformation is kind of like what you see your crazy relative that won't stop posting on Facebook, um, inaccuracies on Facebook posting. So, you know, maybe it's like a Twitter rant that she saw from, you know, your crazy aunt saw from a pundit that she really likes, or it's like a video that includes wrong information. Your aunt's not sharing that because she's, you know, running a troll farm probably in her basement. She just saw this video online and it resonated with her and she thought it was great. And so she clicked share, right? Like she's not actively waging a misinformation campaign. <laughs> Um, hopefully not. Anyways, um, we make no assumptions about our listeners, <laughs> aunts and relatives. But yes, that I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. So there's no there's no intentionality necessarily behind it. The only intention is, oh, I thought this was interesting and I saw it on Facebook or Twitter. Disinformation is when someone intentionally and sometimes a group of people intentionally are planting misinformation in, into the the, the system. So a good example of this um, would be there have been several times where we've seen um, videos of Nancy Pelosi that have been intentionally edited and slowed to make it appear like she's drunk, even though she's said many times that she doesn't um, drink. That someone, someone would have to take that video and, and manipulate it intentionally and then post it online with the intention of deceiving um, so that's what disinformation is. That's someone intentionally putting misinformation out there. Um, and we really are very careful when we use the term disinformation because it is hard to know whether oftentimes whether someone intentionally spread misinformation or not. So that's really interesting. It depends on the mindset of the publisher or the person disseminating the information is what I hear you say. It's a difference between I read this on Facebook and you know, XYZ versus I'm going to doctor a video, for instance, or um, I'm going to use even more elevated or advanced technology. And that is one of the things I wonder about is somebody who is fact-checking on a daily basis. What types of technology do you see emerging where you think, oh my goodness, there's going to be a host of disinformation when it comes to this particular area? Or what are the capabilities that you're looking at and thinking, oh, we're not quite ready for that? Well, you know, that's a really interesting question because a year or two ago, people were very, very concerned about deep fakes. And yeah, things. yeah. Yeah. And we really haven't seen that play out. And, and just to explain a little, deep fake is the idea of actually taking someone's, a video of someone, say it's the president, and putting words into that person's mouth, essentially making up a, maybe a whole speech that they said. That was a huge concern. And in this election, what we've really seen is kind of, it's called cheap fake. So like a cheaper version of that. We haven't, seen a lot of high technology use. It is more, 
you know, low quality editing, you know, within minutes, we were able to figure out, for example, that Nancy Pelosi video that had been edited to make her seem like she was slurring her words. We were able to figure that out within within minutes that that had been done. You know, we'll see audio or video, for example, that's been cut. And sometimes it's, you know, we have to get experts to look at it and that sort of thing. But for the most part, it hasn't been high quality technology, really. Um, it's It's been fairly basic stuff. I'm just realizing as you're walking us through, you know, that you saw the video, you recognize it was a problem, how reliant really we are on you saying, no, this is not true very quickly, right? Because the harm that's done is seems to increase exponentially with almost every second that it's out there. And so it does seem like there's a huge burden on you. And I'm wondering more broadly, although the wheels of justice are not always that quick, do you think that the law has kept up with this changing technology, particularly when it comes to the possibility of disinformation? Or are we in what I see, which is, you know, we have technological changes and then the law slowly, slowly tries to calibrate to appropriately respond to what's changing? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're absolutely correct. I mean, we've had no meaningful legislation um, around technology with disinformation at all. It, this is after a major rev- revelation in 2016 that, um, of course, foreign actors were, were trying to use technology to influence our election and, and sway U.S. perception. So uh, we really haven't seen it catch up. And I think that is one area, too, to your point about how difficult it is to keep up with this misinformation, um, where the technology itself also, you know, that's, we, we can't keep up with it. That, that is where the technology is outsmarting us because, you know, as, as fact checkers and as journalists, the one thing that distinguishes um, us from, or one of the things that distinguishes us from what we're seeing online is that, you know, we do take our time and check the facts and that does take time. And it is so easy on the internet to share a wrong claim within seconds and for it to to multiply within minutes um, faster than we could ever fact check it. So, you know, when you talk about technology, that's certainly one place where we are not up to speed. And and the platforms themselves are also struggling with once, once, the fact checkers do check this stuff out to to take it off their platforms um, or to um, cover them uh, or to fact check them. They themselves are also struggling with keeping up with that. It, it does seem like technology has changed so much on kind of the front end and maybe the middle and the back in the sense that the technology allows you to do something like a deep fake or a cheap fake, and then for it to just multiply exponentially really quickly. And then for you also to very quickly say, no, that's not the case. And here's why. And I wonder if this area, if for that reason, this area is just very different than it was. I don't know you know, exactly what year you started, but let's say a decade ago, five years ago, it seems to me that if you're on the disinformation and misinformation beat, your job is really different than even just a few years ago, perhaps. Yeah. And I mean, a lot, I, my, my job didn't even exist, um, almost, you know, what, three, four years ago. <laughs> so yeah, the job it's incredible. 
Yeah. Um, but no, you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's changed so much. And in part because so many people now have access to make that cheap fake or that meme or, um, that even the Facebook post, you know, that, and, and they have access to thousands or millions of people in some cases, um, that just wasn't really possible, like you said, a decade ago. Um, so anyone with a thought or a false claim can can quickly reach a huge, huge audience. Um, and even, you know, I, I want to be careful and not overplaying um, the threat of foreign disinformation, because I think domestic disinformation is, is just, if not more of a serious threat. But as an example to your question, the ease with which a country like Russia can plant um, its own state media headlines in the U.S. media narrative has moved so quickly. I've talked to disinformation experts before who have said, you know, Russia would spend years, right, trying to, to plant false narratives <laughs> in America uh, through newspapers or pamphlets or whatever. Now they can do it in, in a couple of days. So it's just so amazing how quickly everything moves now. It is amazing. We've talked a lot about the medium through which you can share information and fact check information. I want to talk a little bit more about the point. And you said the difference between misinformation and disinformation is maybe intentionality. and and But is there a pattern of intentionality? Meaning, can you typically say, oh, disinformation is always to help one candidate or disinformation is always, you know, because politics is a zero sum game to harm another candidate? Or is it actually broader than that? Is it just to kind of try and create chaos or can we not even categorize it? I mean, there's so many different types of disinformation that it's not fair to try and put them into buckets yet. Yeah, I think... I think it's very difficult to characterize um, because one, it's hard to find out oftentimes who's behind the, the disinformation or the misinformation. Sometimes we'll never know. And that's, that's very frustrating, but I think a, a good example to your question about, is it to help a candidate? Um, I think when you're talking about domestic politicians that typically are behind some of the false claims and false narratives that we see, um, I would say, yeah, it's it's ultimately to benefit their candidacy a lot of times. And I think a great example of this um, were the, the recently kind of bizarre claims that Republicans um, and President Trump himself were making about um, plane loads of paid rioters being flown into cities um, and to the RNC to, you know, make violent attacks or destroy property or, you know, just to stir up trouble. Um, there's no evidence in those claims, but the ultimate goal is kind of to create this alternative reality um, and to, to kind of create this, this huge fear um, that these paid protesters could be flying into your city next. And president Trump is taking that very seriously. And that's why you should support him. And you, you know, people were hearing that claim, not only from the president, they were hearing it from pundits on TV shows, they were seeing it online and Facebook statuses. So th 
this idea that these paid protesters, in some cases people were calling them, you know, Antifa, uh, were coming to these cities was very scary. And you hear President Trump talking about it, but then you don't hear Joe Biden talking about it. So the ultimate goal is that this one candidate is taking it very seriously, while this other is just not even talking about these paid protesters that are flying into cities. That brings me to another question I'm curious about. And I I have a guess, but is there a substantive area where we see the most disinformation or does it depend a little bit? Meaning, is it mostly based on a candidate's qualifications or is it mostly based on issues dealing with criminal justice reform or environmental Mm -hmm. controls? Or is it just kind of whatever's of the moment in a particular campaign? Meaning, you know, obviously there was an enormous amount of civil unrest that's still going on throughout our country. Is that what people who engage in disinformation seize on? Or do they have their kind of favorite topics? I think people who want to spread misinformation seize on the unknown and mm. confusion. So, and the reason I say that is I'm just thinking back to when the coronavirus first hit. Um, I did not envision I would spend this year doing any debunks or uh, fact-checking around health claims. (laughs) But yet for months, that is all we saw was people making up um, fake cures for the coronavirus, obviously, you know, saying that masks don't help or do help or whatever, um, that the numbers have been inflated, that the government's lying to you, that, you know, we saw so many claims, it was impossible to keep up with. And then, like you said, the the racial injustice protests hit, and then we saw claims around those. So I think a part of it is, you know, whatever the news, the big news of the day is, and whatever people might just be confused about. I mean, no one had really, for a while, no one had concrete answers to the coronavirus and we still don't have a lot of answers to it. So it's ripe for, for people to spread misinformation on. Yeah. Unfortunately, because it's literally is a life or death situation. And, you know, I always think with respect to the coronavirus, we really just as a matter of public education should emphasize novel, right? By definition, we're going to keep learning new things because mm-hmm. this is just my soapbox for a minute, but this isn't something where we can predict. Uh, we have to, unfortunately, I think, live through new tests and new evidence. And I want to ask kind of a similar question from two different perspectives. And the first is, why, are, why do you think we're so susceptible to disinformation and misinformation? And why don't we have, why aren't we on alert to just say, no, that doesn't quite smell right? I think people, I think there's low trust right now. I mean, there's unfortunately low trust in our industry, the media industry. So I think that is a really, um, unfortunately, good stage <laughs> for misinformation to be the star on. You do have like a circumstance like earlier this year with the coronavirus where people were feverishly searching for answers and and to your point didn't find what they were looking for because there weren't answers yet. So they turned to people online who are giving them answers, even when it might not be the right answer. Um, And I think too, the other component to this is, you know, again, and there's plenty of 
polls and research that show this, but, um, you know, the political divide right now is so um, heightened and a lot of the misinformation that we do see kind of reinforces what people want to hear. Yeah. I think that's so important. It's like, the oh, I found my echo chamber. That's what I already suspected. And so now Mm -hmm. I'm justified in feeling that way. And here's the, maybe it's not the flip side of the question, but um, you said that there's such low trust in the media as an industry. So the other thing I wanted to ask is, how do you convince readers that your fact checks are in fact True. And I face this a little bit with my students sometimes where it's a very honest question. They'll come and say, I read this and I try and explain why I know you did, but I know it's false and kind of give the indicia of why I know it's false and why I know that the counterclaim is actually the one that's credible. And again, give them those factors to go through. But I wanted to hear from you, you know, again, how do you convince people that the fact check itself isn't disinformation? Yeah, I, that's such a great question. And if I had the perfect answer, I feel like my inbox would be a lot happier right now. Uh, but one thing that I'm personally really big on is, you know, I think sometimes we have a tendency in, in news stories to like, just say something is false. And we, and that's because we're like, we've seen all the evidence, right? Like we were really familiar with perhaps the claim that's being made or why it's false. And we've researched and done all these documents and looked at those, but our readers have not. So it's really important. Like anytime we call something false to immediately kind of back that up in my opinion with, you know, a few details on why it's false instead of just saying, Oh, it's a false claim. Now that becomes a little tricky when, we're dealing with the world of conspiracy theories where, you know, it's, you can't necessarily like disprove them, right? Like I can't, one of the big uh, QAnon conspiracy theories is that JFK Jr. is not dead. Like I, unless I go exhume his body, I don't know how I'm going to prove that (laughs) to someone, but um, you know, so it's, it's tricky and I wish I had a better answer. I think, like I said, we just have to, explain our work as much as we can and as close to when we call a claim false as we can. Could you explain briefly for the listeners what QAnon is or who they are? Yeah. So QAnon is really interesting. It's um, a theory that has really been around for quite a few years. Um, It started out as kind of this fringe conspiracy theory that there's this deep state government and then, you know, like this cable of um, celebrities and just high ranking people, um, powerful people that are kidnapping children. um, Parts of the theory, depending, there's so many angles to it, but depending on what you might believe in, in QAnon, um, parts of the theory suggest that they're sex trafficking or human trafficking the children or taking their blood. So it was very, very fringy to start, like something that most people might not really buy into right away, but it's more and more moved itself into the mainstream in some ways by kind of pretending it's not as out there as it is. Um, So 
right now we're seeing a lot of um, social media accounts, for example, that are maybe affiliated loosely with QAnon followers that are saying, you know, stop human trafficking. Well, that's something that everyone can kind of agree with. And so it's it's this kind of mainstream, it's got a little more mainstream. I hope that kind of answers the question. It's, there's a lot to it. It does. And we learned an enormous amount from you and about your work today. And now as loyal listeners know, I'd like to ask you a few questions to learn a little bit more about you. And so the first question is, which famous person dead or alive would you want to invite to a dinner party and why? I'm sorry. I'm like a royal family history lover. So I would definitely say Princess Diana. I think it'd be fascinating. No apologies necessary. You're going to be stranded on a desert island and you can bring one meal. What is it and why? I love a good lobster dinner. So it's like nice to eat by the beach. (laughs) Now, last question. You get one superpower for an hour. What is it? Oh my gosh. I know my husband and I have talked about this before. Now I can't remember my answer. Um, I think I would want to fly. That's wrong. No, I'm kidding. We, Amanda, (laughs) that was perfect. Thank you so much for joining us, for passing judgment with us. You can find Amanda on Twitter at Amanda, S-E-I-T-Z, Amanda Seitz. You can find me on Twitter at Levinson Jessica. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Pass Judgment Pod and on Instagram at Passing Judgment Pod. Thank you so much to the listeners. And we will see you next time.